0: Podcastle Episode 105 for May 25th 2010 Honored Guest by Ellen Kushner
1: Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Ann Lecky. It's easy to forget just how important weaving has been throughout history not just as a technological innovation, because it was that back when it was first invented, but culturally and mythologically. Several cultures have creation stories that involve the world being woven, and no few warrior goddesses are also expert weavers. I suspect it's a measure of just how ancient weaving is. We've got fragments of woven fabric that are 7,000 years old, and a few tenuous indications that weaving might be even older than that. It might also be a measure of just how important cloth is, These days, you can wander down the street and buy a shirt simple as that, or a blanket, or whatever it is you need. But imagine having to spin every thread and weave it for every piece of clothing you own. It's easy to forget just how important textile production is to the way we live our lives, but when you spend most of your supposedly free time with a spindle in your hands and hours at the loom, whether it's a huge wooden construction or something portable that you tie around, say, a tree and strap to your waist, you don't forget that. And those weavers, over those thousands of years, weren't content with just plain weave, but developed different techniques, new textures, and complex color patterns. It's little wonder that weaving was considered the province of goddesses, or that some kinds of cloth would be regarded as magical. Not much of that magic remains. Most cloth is considered too mundane for that these days. Or woven cloth, anyway. There are some hobbyist weavers, it's true, but most people who hand-make textiles these days are knitters or crocheters. Knitting is probably about 2,000 years old, or that's about the age of our earliest sample of knitted cloth, and crochet is probably just about 200 years old, nothing compared to weaving. But you might have an afghan. Maybe it's a stunning example of the needleworker's art, or maybe it's just granny squares or a plain ripple. Either way, it has an aura of your aunt or your mother or your grandma's affection and love that lingers in every stitch, no matter how far away she may be from you in time or space. Today's story is honored guest by Ellen Kushner. Her first novel, Swords Point, a melodrama of manners, introduced the fantasy world Riverside, to which she has since returned, In the Fall of the Kings, written with Delia Sherman, The Privilege of the Sword, and several short stories, including this one. Her second novel, Thomas the Rhymer, won the Mythopoic Award and the World Fantasy Award. Kushner is perhaps best known as the host of public Radio's Sound and Spirit, a musical exploration of world myth and meaning in the human experience. Her work for kids includes The Golden Dreidel, a Klezmer Nutcracker for Hanukkah, with Shirem Klezmer Orchestra on Rykodisk CD, which she revised and published in a longer version as a children's chapter book by Charles Bridge, The Golden Dreidel. In 2008, Vital Theater in New York City commissioned her to script a full-scale theatrical version. She is a co-founder of the Interstitial Arts Foundation, an organization supporting work that falls between genre categories. She lives in New York City with Delia Sherman and no cats whatsoever. Honored guest first appeared in The Coyote Road Trickster Tales, edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling. It's read by Eugie Foster, who lives in metro Atlanta with her husband Matthew and her pet skunk Hopkin. Her fiction has appeared in Realms of Fantasy, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, Cricket, and Jim Bain's Universe, as well as here at PodCastle and our sister podcasts Escape Pod and Pseudopod. Noralana Books recently published her short story collection, Returning My Sister's Face and Other Far Eastern Tales of Whimsy and Malice.
2: Honored Guest by Ellen Kushner I have met very few evil people in my life, but my grandmother is one of them. When my mother died, Omama told my father that she would support him and my brother and me but only if he gave up all his and my mother's friends, her family, and his work in their studio to return to a mama's family compound. There was no reason for this. She already had other sons and cousins working for her. There had been one more, but my uncle Great Light had taken his own life right before the harvest festival. Maybe she needed father back to make up a propitious number. That's not what he says." When I asked why we could not visit my weaver grandmother and all the cousins anymore, he sighed. Oh, Mama has never learned to share. She's so rich she never had to. Wealth is not a disease, Bright Phoenix, my father said sternly. You may be rich yourself someday, so I want you to remember that. That may be so, but I think being rich can make you selfish. It's like a cold... You have to fight it off by wrapping up warm and keeping your head covered. I don't care so much about being rich, but I might like to be famous. I think I have a pretty good shot at it, because since I was five, I've played the Kuchin. And even my brother, Great Joy, who is good at games and doesn't like to lose, knows that I play better than he does. I like to practice. When I kneel before my instrument, and my fingers bend and dance on the strings, I feel as if I know things no one has ever known before. It isn't just pretty sounds. It's like entering another world. Some of the great Guccian players played for years in solitude before letting anyone else hear them. But I don't mind playing for others. I like their admiration well enough. But even better, I like to think that somehow my music has changed them. As it changes me. It isn't really decent for a well-bred girl to be famous, I know. Even my weaver grandmother used to tut and bite off threads with a snap when the subject came up. A decent girl doesn't get herself talked about, she'd say. So maybe I won't be famous in my own lifetime. It's different after you're dead. It's all right for people to talk about you then. In the Annals of the Ancestors, which we are reading with our tutor, It says very nice things about the poet Lady Gloria Spring, the painter Pure Delight, and the calligrapher Lady Sweetwater. Not only were they all virtuous, but some are even relatives, and Lady Sweetwater was the prince's own concubine. My o'mama likes to hear us play. When she has guests, great joy and I are often summoned to the phoenix chamber to perform for them after a meal, while she and her guests sit on our cushions around the rosewood tables Drinking tea and munching sweets. Unless instructed otherwise, we play old favorites. Nothing new or original. The Bridge of Sighs, Maiden's Fancy, things like that. Joy always wants us to do spring sewing, because he gets to do the show-off bit imitating the lark. Of course, I had great talent when I was a girl, our grandmother says when we are done. Somehow, she manages to make it sound as if she was much better than we are. The great yellow tortoise himself invited me to play a duet with him when he attended my father's birthday feast. What an event that was! Everyone was there. Lady Sweetwater kissed my cheek, and the crown prince himself honored me with a bow. Oh, yes, I was quite something, though you wouldn't know it to look at me now. She holds out her huge knobby hands, crusty with rings, and, of course, all the guests say that, no, her hands are wonderful, lovely. She must honor them with a tune. All except one. The red-haired woman in the fancy trousers, sitting at the end of the table, says quietly, Wisdom comes with age. Pain comes with wisdom. Her foreign accent is musical. Even sitting, she is very tall. I have been watching her as she surreptitiously shifts her long legs under the table, trying to get comfortable. My grandmother looks sharply at her. What book taught you to say that, Honored Miss? An old one, says the visitor. As you know, I collect antiquities. Antiquities? Uncle Green Tea asks. Then perhaps you have come to admire our famous crystal tortoise. But O Mama shushes him. Pray continue, Honored Guest. Today we like to view the world as an endless progress toward a perfect now, and so we scorn those who come before us as unenlightened fools. But I know this of the riches I traffic in. Their age often reveals great wisdom. Maybe your barbarian kindred scorn the past, says Omama rudely. In this house we respect the ancestors. And pain? A young poet my grandmother likes to flirt with leans forward, challenging the stranger. Does the wisdom of your antique writings also reveal pain and its cure? The red-haired woman takes a long sip of tea before she answers. True wisdom conquers pain. She keeps her eyes lowered, as if her spiky eyelashes are shielding some secret. But I have noticed already that they are a vivid green, the color of cress in the stream, of moss in the wood. All colors found in nature but I have never seen them looking out from a human face. And her hair is a fox's hair, though much softer and braided with jewels. Her nose is long and sharp, and her fingers are tapered, a musician's hands. Strange that she collects antiquities. I wonder what she is doing here. Perhaps she is selling us something. Omama likes to have the best and the rarest of everything. The foreign woman turns her strange eyes to Omama's poet. "'Since pain is not a disease,' she says, "'there is no one cure for the suffering it causes. "'Each pain demands its own cure.' "'My Uncle Green Tea smiles politely. "'As the pain of toothache is helped by willow bark and syrup of poppy?' "'Idiot,' O Mama snarls. "'Exactly, honoured sir,' the stranger says smoothly. "'But you would never take that for the pain of childbirth.' "'And the pain of love?' asks the poet daringly. Why, she says, contriving to look up at him through her lashes, even though she is taller than he, the lover says yes. That is the cure to that pain. Even though she speaks our language slowly and thoughtfully, her voice is pure music. The poet flushes a little. Omama's clawed, ringed hand descends on his wrist. More tea? She speaks with great refinement, but the words croak in her throat. If her voice was ever beautiful, it isn't now. But the stranger has the poet in thrall. He leans toward her, past O'Mama's hand, so far that he is in danger of knocking over the table. And the road to that yes, he breathes. Where do we find that? She smiles demurely. Where but in music? And slides her eyes over to me, seated silent at my kitchen Even more than words, poetical sir, music unlocks the heart, does it not? Ah, gasped the poet, because my grandmother's claws have dug into his wrist for real this time. Great joy is about to giggle. I kick him under the low table our chins rest on. Unbidden, he starts to play, and I join him to make it look planned. All right, it's spring sewing again, but it's a sprightly tune, bound to cheer up even the most disgruntled of guests and even, I hope, their more disgruntled hostess. But it's a disaster. Even though we take the piece too fast and almost crash into the ending, the poet is full of praise for our playing. He compliments my grace and charm particularly. He doesn't know he's digging himself a hole so deep he'll never be invited back again. oh Mama doesn't like to hear anything praised but herself, and sometimes her collections, because she chose them. Although she is a newcomer, the strange guest is wise enough to know this. Oh, bah! she says dismissively. Any girl may look charming and graceful, posed over such a rare and gorgeous instrument as that, and dressed as she is, too, in such lovely robes. Cloth like that would lend beauty to a block of wood. I tell you, I have traveled the length and breadth of these islands, and nowhere have I seen such weaving." The cloth of my robes was made by my weaver grandmother, but oh mama doesn't say so. Of course you haven't. She gestures to the maid to offer the woman more sweets. Our weavers are the finest and most subtle. Their work embodies the very spirit of the land, patterns laid down by tradition, passed through the generations. I have only the best in my household, of course. I chose that stuff for Bright Phoenix's robe. She has a muddy complexion but the right colors can work wonders. Stand up, child, and turn around. I feel so hot that I can barely breathe. I don't know if it's anger or embarrassment or what. Maybe I'm getting sick. I force myself to rise to my feet slowly. I'm standing in the center of the tables, on the mat above them all. Look at the child, Mama cackles. Clumsy as an ox, You'd never know she was of my family, would you? Of course, in my day, we learned deportment. People always remarked on the grace of my walk. Seeing me in the garden, the poet Violent Cloud said, was like seeing a peony drift down the path, cut loose from its stem. May I? murmurs the foreign woman. She reaches out to finger the cloth of my robe. When she touches it, I feel something vibrate deep in me. "'as if she has just plucked a string. "'They say there is magic woven into your fabrics as well, "'magic that must be given freely.' mamma chuckles. "'As to that, I don't know anything about that, "'but it will take a deal of magic "'to turn this ox into a swan, clumsy thing. "'That's enough, girl, sit down. "'Are you interested in cloth, honored guest? "'I've an unparalleled collection of weavings.' What Phoenix wears is mere trash next to them. Weaving, the foreigner says vaguely. She fiddles with a ruby in her ear. Oh, no. Carvings and manuscripts are more my line. I have clients all over the islands of the most discriminating tastes. What would they want with cloth? Barbarians, Omama mutters under her breath, so everyone can hear her. She waves at my brother and me. "'as if she were shooing chickens out of the yard. "'We bow and then wrap up our instruments "'in their layers of special cloth "'and carry them out with us. "'As we walk out, I hear the foreigner say, "'Any crystal that you have chosen, "'honored lady, must naturally be of the best. "'I am grateful to the moss-eyed woman "'for soothing O Mama's ruffled feathers, "'but for some reason I am sad "'that she did not think me worthy of praise.' The next morning, Omama sends for me. She is sitting on her couch, surrounded by beautiful objects, precious carvings of wood and stone, fine glazed vases, and even enameled urns, as well as rich hangings, while her maids put the finishing touches on her makeup and her hair. She looks as though she herself is being turned into an object of art. Girl, she does not ask me to sit, and so I stand. "'I have decided you spend too much time alone or with your brother. "'You will spend mornings with me from now on. "'You will read aloud to me and refine your embroidery skills, "'which are lamentable. "'You will lunch with me unless I have guests, "'and in the afternoon, after my nap, "'you will observe the way that I do business. "'It is time you learn something of how the family makes its money. "'You know nothing of trade, or money-lending, "'or influence, for that matter.' You do not know the world. It is time you began. My head is spinning, and my mouth hangs open. But fortunately nothing comes out, which is good because I hear nothing in her plans for me that allows for time to study, or to practice, unless she is asleep. And as for business, close your mouth, girl. You look like a stuffed trout. And say thank you, O mama. It's not every girl gets a chance like this. Thank you, O mama, I parrot. "'while my heart pounds in panic. "'What about father? "'Surely he can teach me about business. Ah! she looks into a mirror, "'frowns, and shakes her head "'at the maid who is holding it. "'Not the wisteria hairpiece, "'you idiot girl. "'The maid flushes, "'but Omama doesn't notice. "'It's as if no one has any feelings "'in the world but her. "'Your father is very busy these days. "'Now that he is in a responsible position, "'He cannot possibly waste his time on you. "'But Father has always taught me. "'I have gone too far. "'You do not argue with O Mama. "'Taught you what?' she blazes. "'Taught you disrespect? "'Taught you to waste your time? "'Or to spend it on useless frivolity, "'on wastrels and vulgar craftsmen "'like your mother's trashy family?' "'She spits and hisses like fire. "'Look at you, ugly as sin in day-old mold, "'standing there gaping like a beached fish.' "'Look at her,' she instructs all the maids. "'Children are supposed to be a blessing, "'but mine only bring forth curses like this one. "'Born in the garbage, what can you expect? "'A merchant's daughter wasn't good enough for him. "'He had to go against my wishes and marry down in the gutter. "'And what did they bring forth but gutter trash?' "'You're wasting your time,' says a musical voice from the doorway. "'It is the tall woman, the stranger who collects antiques.' How did she get here without being sent for? Forgive me, I'm early, aren't I? But I so wanted to see the crystal tortoise, and instead I stumble on you being vexed by ungrateful relatives. Oh, Mama laughs bitterly. Wasting my time, am I? Afraid, yes. The woman slips into the room like a whispered tune. Today she is wearing our style of dress, a robe of grey cross-woven with green threads that shimmer when she moves, bound up with a sash in a seashell pattern. Her wild hair is modestly coiffed, stuck through with two sticks topped with shells as well. It's as though she is a cool breeze come in. For the first time, I feel like I can breathe again, even though she proceeds to insult me. Children are born to be a heartbreak to their parents. I certainly was. You can no more affect them with your own wisdom than you can infect a stone with a head cold. Omama laughs, and the whole room breathes skin. You're right about that. A stone is exactly what this one's got for brains. The woman shrugs. What do you expect? Girls are a curse when they are young. She makes it sound as if she's old herself, as old as Omama, although she is nowhere near. Fortunately, Miss Bright Phoenix is most ornamental, which makes up for a lot. Oh dear, first she says I'm a curse, and now she's praising me. I feel myself prickle with pleasure, even as I dread what's coming. I want to tell her, stop, you'll set her off again. My hands are shaking a little still from the last tirade. When Omama starts spitting poison at me, there is nothing I can do but wait till she is done. I have learned not to cry, no matter what she says, but it can be so hard. The women of our family have always been beauties, O'Mama says smugly. She presses her crimsoned lips together as if she's just eaten a tasty sweet. It's a pity about her feet. O'Mama thinks only peasants have big feet. My feet are not that large. I am glad to see that today I am wearing my prettiest slippers, embroidered with peonies. SIT DOWN, GIRL, SO WE DON'T ALL HAVE TO LOOK AT THEM. I SIT ON THE CUSHIONS ACROSS FROM HER. SO, HONORED GUEST, YOU'RE EAGER TO SEE MY TORTOISE, ARE YOU? AMARANTH, SHE TELLS A MAID. FETCH OUT THE CRYSTAL TORTOISE, AND BE SURE YOU DON'T DROP IT WITH YOUR DONKEY'S HANDS. ANOTHER MAID KNEELS AND POURS OUT THE TEA INTO TRANSLUCENT porcelain CUPS. The guest is about to drink when my grandmother smacks it out of her hand, and it spills all over the silk pillows. Clumsy idiot, O'Mama barks at the poor maid. What do you think you are doing? How can you serve jasmine tea before noon? I try to catch the maid's eye, to offer her a sympathetic glance, but she won't meet my look. Honestly, O'Mama says, they get stupider every year. I don't know why they can't keep it straight, something as simple as that. Our guest doesn't bat an eye. She just mops up the tea with her handkerchief. The sultan of Uru served jasmine tea for breakfast, she says. Shows you what he's made of, eh? With her other hand, she turns the ruby in her ear. Is she laughing at us? Omama doesn't think so. She nods approval. I hear the only taste he's got is in ivories. I don't suppose you picked up any of those in Uru. One or two. "'the merchant says nonchalantly. "'Nothing up to your standards, I expect. "'But I could show them to you if you like. "'I feel like a ball being batted between two tigers. "'What will the strange woman do next? "'Does she like me or not? "'And why should I care? "'Surely she is just trying to get on a mama's good side. "'She is a merchant, after all. "'And a mama is rich. "'Maybe she has something to sell her.' Maybe she is hoping to buy the crystal tortoise and thinks she'll get a bargain if she flatters my grandmother. I wonder if O'mama has noticed the ruby that glitters in the guest's right ear. It isn't very large, but the colour is very true. Maybe that's why the strange woman puts her hand to it so often-to hide it lest O'mama be jealous. Amaranth presents the crystal tortoise on its silk cushion. The guest looks at it with hungry eyes. May I? She picks it up and examines it in the light. Remarkable. Flawless, as you say. One of the treasures of the house. A real artist made this. Omama's lacquered claws reach for the tortoise and tap its crystal shell. Notice the curve, an almost perfect sphere. Mm, yes. Old, too, I'd say. Plenty old, honored guest. Does it please you? How could it not? If I may. She takes it back and strokes the crystal with her tapered finger. Her nails are short as a boy's. They say the tortoise lives a thousand years and grows wiser with each one. To own such a thing, surely the owner is happy and will also live well beyond his allotted span. How lucky you are to possess it! Hardly lucky, O Mama sighs gustily. It is beautiful, yes, but the thing is a curse to me. The merchant sits forward and looks interested. I wonder, is this the business I'm supposed to be learning? This bargaining over the tortoise? Yes, a curse. My husband gave it to me before he died. Just before. How sad that such a lovely thing should be twined with such grief. O strikes a noble attitude. Sad indeed. Grief and I are old friends. I could just smack her. Such a brave woman, the visitor says, to live with such memories... Oh, well, has the tortoise on her lap, and is stroking it like a kitten. Sometimes I think I should just get rid of it. As you say, it would fetch a pretty price. It is, I'm sure, worth ten times what I paid for it. But then I think, no, I must keep it in the family. To pass on to your lovely granddaughter, perhaps? Oh, Mama chuckles. Perhaps, if she pleases me. At least you have taken great pains to train her to be a decent musician. Would you like Miss Phoenix to play for you again? She claps her hands to the maids. Buttercup, fetch Miss Phoenix's instrument. No one moves. Buttercup, I said. The youngest maid flutters a bow. You sent Buttercup away last year. I'm Goldenrod, madam. I know who you are. There's nothing wrong with my memory. Goldenrod brings a kitchen. The maid wants to unwrap it for me but I never let anyone else do that. It is wrapped in cloth my weaver grandmother gave me when I left her house, when my mother died. Ancient cloth, the forerunner of the pattern my grandmother and her sisters are famous for. The weaving is subtle, with hints of clouds and cranes and mountaintops. Your future is not in crafting such as this, my mother's mother told me, but it will protect your chosen instrument. It still has the smell of the house I grew up in, very deep in its folds. I play Maiden's Fancy with all the variations. If I can go far enough into the music, I can forget about what's going on, the two tigers battling with me in the middle, sure as always to get hurt. If the stranger is cruel, I'll suffer, and if she is kind, O mamma will punish me for it. Don't think about it. Think about the music. Knowing the piece by heart, I sneak a look up through my lashes as I play. Oh, Mama is frowning into her teacup. The visitor is sprawled back on her cushions, her body loose with pleasure. Her red head is tilted back, her long neck stretched out like a melody. She is listening, though. There is a furrow of concentration between her brows. When I finish, she doesn't move. Ah, she sighs. That was worth traveling for. For the first time, she addresses me directly. Now how did a young girl learn to play like that? It's nothing. It's everything. Art like that is everything. All I can do is appreciate. You create. What's that song called? Maiden's Fancy? Well, that explains it. A young girl's hopes and dreams and wishes. Ice and fire. Power and helplessness. That is what is meant by fancy, yes? Yes, I breathe. And you know it all in your own heart, and make me feel it, remember it, in mine. That is what art does. It makes us remember, yes? Oh, Mama laughs a little laugh. I don't need music to remember. My memory is flawless. Oh, come now, madam. All of us forget from time to time. And as the years pile on each other, with so many memories to keep track of, it is easy to misplace one or two, no? Flawless, O'Mama rasps again. Do you not know the story of the immortal tortoise of the Blessed Isles? To capture one is to ensure a hundred years of vigorous youth. And indeed she has her fingers clasped around the tortoise like a jeweled cage. Truly, the guest says politely, "'So fine is the carving that one might almost imagine this "'to be one of the immortals turned to crystal. "'Do not think so, Miss Phoenix. "'For I can answer, oh Mamma Snorts. "'Please, bright Phoenix has no eye for art or beauty of any kind. "'How can a girl live surrounded by so much beauty here "'and yet be insensitive to it? "'I'm not,' I want to tell the stranger. "'I know beauty. I live for it. "'Don't listen to her.' I have no idea, but there she is, fit only to moon about and noodle on the strings. She knows nothing of the world. I am trying to teach her to be practical, for all the good it does. Ah, no. The foreign woman shakes her shapely head. This one will never be practical. She is not like us. A dreamer and a maker, that one. Decorative and diverting, yes, but no more. My hand flies to my heart, as if to press it back in. The poet writes, Hard words from a friend cut glass. They are glittering diamonds of pain. But this woman is not my friend. Why do her words cut me so? Now, the tortoise of the blessed isles, she goes on. There are many who scoff at such tales. People like us, practical people who know the world. They even scoff at the thought of your weaver-women putting power into their cloth. They say only the ignorant are wont to perceive artists as magic-makers, miracle-workers, beyond the run of ordinary folk. I was one such scoffer, once. I had heard of the immortal tortoise. Who hasn't? I had heard. But now I have seen. Seen? O oh, Mama's eyes are sharp and bright. How Seen. I have sailed the seas for many years. Some say its color has even got into my eyes. Such voyages are not without a price. Once, long ago, I encountered a storm so fierce that all my ship was lost. I battled through the waves to an island, and there, in the pearly dawn, thirsty and aching, I woke to such a sight. She looks off into the distance, as though seeing it again, and turns the ruby in her ear tortoises on the beach. Hundreds of them, it seemed. They move very slowly. You can stand and watch and think that one is standing still, until you see its tracks in the sand and realize that it has moved indeed. Is old age slowing them down? Far from it. Wisdom, maybe. I watched them for a long, long time. They permitted me to survive, as if their wisdom was also a gift. "'My grandmother nods thoughtfully. "'The wise move slowly, is that it?' "'The guest demurely lowers her eyelids. "'Maybe more slowly even than old age.' "'Omama looks sharply at her face. "'How old did you say you are?' "'I didn't.' "'And where was this island of yours?' "'No one knows.' "'You were rescued.' "'I was rescued at sea.' Despairing of being found there after so long, I built myself a raft and cast myself upon the mercy of the waves, and for weeks, maybe months, I drifted, sustained only by tortoise-flesh. How much? Ten, twenty... No, how much do you want for it? I don't believe it. O-Mama is bargaining for magic tortoise-flesh. She is too impatient even to observe the niceties. It's as if, seeing the cure for old age within her reach, my grandmother doesn't want to let even another minute go by without it. The woman pulls a kerchief from her purse and unwraps it to show a piece of leather. There is no price for such as this, she says. But, gracious lady, I will give it to you gladly for the gift of the tune your sweet granddaughter played me. It is a privilege to watch her soft young face and her art has given me back my youth more surely than any magic can. I can hardly breathe. I don't even want to imagine what's coming next. But Omama only smiles a cutting smile. I'm so glad the music pleased you. Very much so. My dear, Omama says poisonously to me, our honored guest has praised you well beyond your feeble merit. We must make an equally generous gift to thank her. Not at all, the woman says, but I can feel her quivering like a cat on the hunt, her gaze fixed on the crystal tortoise glowing on its silk cushion. Oh, the rogue. She doesn't care about me at all. I kneel as gracefully as I can. I stretch out my hand for the crystal, but a mama's voice stops me like a whip. No, my dear. For a gift to be of real value, it must come from the heart. In that moment, we both understand clearly. The expression on the stranger's face is nearly comical, surprised and baffled. She's not very good at hiding her feelings, after all. But I hide mine, although I cannot speak for fear my voice will betray me. O'Mama knows my heart too well. I bow to the stranger, so low my hair brushes the pillow at her feet. This is what comes of trying to be clever, I want to tell her. This is what comes of trying to outplay mama. You, beautiful stranger with your grassy eyes and foxy hair, your sweet voice and razored words. You are no match for her, and neither am I. Come, child, O oh mama says stickily, like honey. You, who have been given so much, must learn to be generous. I cannot stop my hands from shaking just a little as I lift the chin. The woman receives it awkwardly, like someone being given a baby to hold who is afraid they'll drop it. Such a fine instrument should be protected, she stammers awkwardly. She tries to wrap it in the ends of her sash, which, of course, is ridiculous. I find I have my grandmother's cloth twisted round my hands, the cranes and mountains chasing each other amongst the clouds. At a signal from Omama, I slowly unbind myself from it and gently drape it around the guccin. Omama nods, and I bow and go, finding the way to the door by memory, since my eyes are blind with tears. I may not live a thousand years, I hear her tell the woman, but I have enough wisdom to know a treasure's worth. More tea, honored guest. My goodness, tortoise tastes much like shoe leather. I sit in my room, very still. I eat nothing and drink nothing. I am going to die here. Hour by hour and piece by piece I am going to be forced to give up more and more of myself, until all that is left is a sad lady with rich robes and too many pairs of embroidered slippers to hide her big feet. If I'm lucky, I will be married off to some dignitary. If I'm not, I'll be kept at o Mama's side until she dies. Or until I kill her, a small voice whispers inside me. But that is nonsense. When I dreamed of fame it was not as a murderer. Those are not the books I long to be in, the lists of awful tragedies and wicked deeds. I wanted something else. There are poems about the way I feel, tears staining silk and loss like a hole that cannot be filled, but their very images imply a kind of loveliness. I don't feel lovely. I just feel dead and tired and very sad. The strange merchant is surely gone by now, She sent me no token of thanks, not even a note. The moon enters my window like a thief, but unlike any thief, it leaves a bar of silver in my lap. And into the bar of silver falls a pebble, a rough little stone, and then another. I look up to the window and see a slender hand with short nails like a boy's. Hist, she whispers. Come out. I follow the voice out into the moonlit garden. "'There you are,' she says. "'Her face is white. "'The moon turns her hair the color of dry blood. "'Cost me a fortune to find out which one's your window. "'Good. "'I wanted to thank you. "'Don't thank me. "'Wait until you see what form my thanks take. "'She steps closer to me, and I do not turn away. "'She cannot hurt me any more.' She has already taken what I love most. You were generous, against my will. The stranger woman looks down at me, long and hard, so that I look up to meet her crest-green eyes. Your grandmother's a fool, you know. She can no more keep you from your art than that stupid tortoise can keep her from her death. You wanted that stupid tortoise. Is that what you think? I wanted something else. What? Kiss me and find out. I raise my face to her. Her breath smells of sweet almonds. And when she kisses me, it's nothing like music. It's like nothing but itself, as if there were a whole new part of my body I've never known about till now, and a whole new art form waiting for it to master. There, she murmurs. "'I've taken the most valuable thing in her house, "'and she doesn't even know it. "'Sweet girl, I've got something for you. "'I'm expecting a locket or a ring, "'but she turns away to the bench behind her "'and lifts up something large. "'The strings of my guchin shine in the moonlight. "'Here you go.' "'I clutch it to me as if it were my heart. "'The cloth, I say. "'It was wrapped in a cloth. "'Ah,' she says, Now that, I'm afraid, I must keep. I stare at her. Oh, come on, bright Phoenix. What do you think I went to all that trouble for? I still don't understand. You know the old bat. She can never have enough of anything, because nothing is enough to fill her miserable, hungry heart. She was never going to sell me something I wanted. The moment I wanted it, she had to want it more. If I was going to get what I came for... I was going to have to make her give it to me. You wanted my other granny's cloth? You really don't know what it is, do you? These cloths stay in families for generations. They almost never leave this island. It's the real thing, child. Ancient and beautiful and maybe even powerful, if you know what you're doing. I don't. But there are those who do, or think they do. And they'll pay a lot for something like that, if they think it was given freely and its power intact. But it wasn't hers to give. It's mine. She pulls my cloth from her hanging sleeve, and unfolds it and drapes it around her shoulders. Wrapped in the scent and colors of my past, the stranger looks at me, and I seem to see what she sees. A young girl with dark hair, sleek as ebony, lips stung with kisses, moist and lightly parted, revealing teeth like pearls, even her eyes gemmed with unshed tears. "'Will you give me your cloth?' she asks. "'No. "'Will you sell it to me?' "'I think of what she's given me already. "'I'm seized with a longing like pain, "'for her kisses, for her freedom. "'Take me with you,' I whisper. "'Please?' "'No.' Not yet. You're too young yet to give yourself freely. That is my price. She slides the fine weaving from off her shoulders, begins folding it up for me. She's going to leave me with nothing. Wait, I say, wait. I want three things from you. Give me three things, and the cloth is yours. Tell me. First, your name. Jessica. It's Jessica Campion. What does that mean? In my language, nothing, really. Campion is some kind of flower, but in my land we carry our father's names. Like you, I am the daughter of a great house. I left my home and my family to pursue other things that pleased me more. That's the first thing. And the second? I blush, but say it. "'A lock of your hair. "'Hair is strength and spirit. "'She takes a tiny silver scissors from her belt. "'She cuts a long lock from the crown of her head "'and winds it round and round my fingers. "'I close my hand on it. "'And the third. "'The third is a promise. "'I want your promise to return. "'How do you know I'll keep it?' she mocks gently. "'Because you're going to give me something precious.' She smiles so that the lines around her eyes dance. How old is she, really? Ten years older than I am, her face toughened by weather and the sea. A gift of the heart? No, indeed, Jessica Campion. I like using her name. It makes me feel powerful. I am from a merchant's house, remember. I'll take something real, something you value enough to come back for. How about that jewel in your ear? Her hand flies to it. Oh, this? It's not worth much, not even a fraction of the value of your guccian, let alone that cloth. That's why I want it, Jessica Campion. Oh? She looks a little cold, a bit displeased, but I am used to that. So I persist. You always touch it, I say, whenever you are thinking hard. I do not think you'll want to be without it long. Her moonlit face breaks into a grin. You, Rich, she says. You're a quick study. All right, here. But be careful with it. It's one of the family rubies. I don't dare go home without it. I wonder if she has an omama, too. I reach up my hand to her, the hand wrapped with her hair. I touch her cheek. It is warm. She bows her head to me and nuzzles my face and moves to my lips. Our kisses are so many I lose count of them. When at last I get my breath, I say to her, There is your promise sealed. Don't stay away too long. You'll hardly know I'm gone. I fold the cloth for her and place it in her sleeve myself. Like a shadow I have kissed, she leaves the garden then, taking with her all my past. But I have gotten my future in return.
0: And welcome back! I've had a pretty good family life, certainly no evil grandmothers or wicked stepsisters who want to destroy my dreams, and yet, for some reason it's very, very easy for me to relate to Bright Phoenix in that room, stripped of the things she loves the most, knowing that the life before her will slowly destroy her. Actually, I imagine it's a universal experience, something we can all relate to, and so it feels really, really good when we get to see someone we can all identify with face the future It suddenly looks bigger and more open and new than it did minutes before. Ellen Kushner told us recently that Jessica Campion is a character who first appeared in the novel she wrote with Delia Sherman, The Fall of the Kings. Delia Sherman, some of you may remember, is the author of The Fiddler of Bayou Tesh, one of Podcastle's most popular episodes. Jessica is a trickster who turns up near the end of the novel, takes over, and turns everything upside down. People sometimes ask Miss Kushner if she'll ever get a novel of her own, but she feels the trickster should mostly just turn up in other people's stories, so she gave her to Bride Phoenix for the daddling Wimlow-themed anthology The Coyote Road, The Trickster Tales, which this story is reprinted from. Fans of Kushner's novel The Privilege of the Sword may already know that Jessica's also the natural daughter of the Duke Tremontaine, a man who also appears in Swordspoint under another name. Speaking of dreams and destiny... Let's do some feedback for Podcastle 96, Elizabeth Bear's Love Among the Tailors. This one receives something of a mixed reception from our audience. Some people really, really liked it, others had a hard time following it. Ossiacat was put off by the pure exposition at the beginning and the passive voice. Other listeners, like Danuli and Farseeker, had a difficult time keeping the names and titles and politics of the story straight. Schmetterling said, the talis were so different from anything I'd ever imagined, and Nilifer's methods for getting what she wanted, instead of what everyone else wanted, made her seem so cold and calculating, and so sad and lonely at the end. It's a nice change from the typical fantasy ending. Despite a slight glitch in the middle, the audio was overall very good and the narration was wonderful. Diane Severson did a really great job reading this one. M. Brennan said it's no secret that I'm a sucker for good world building and Central Asian material is woefully underrepresented in fantasy. I do wish, given their position in the title, that the talis had been more central to the story, while they were definitely relevant, they didn't really have the kind of narrative primacy I'd expect in a story named after them. But I like Nilifer, or at least found her to be an interesting character, and I like the revelation of political complexity behind what sounded like a rather fairy taleish opening. I know Bear is working on a novel in this setting, and I'm looking forward to it, because I'd love to see more of the world. That is correct, M. Brennan. Elizabeth Bear is not one but two novellas coming out from Subterranean Press. Bone and Jewel Creatures later this year and The Steels of the Sky next year. That's all for this time, folks. Thanks for letting all of us here at Podcastle share another story with you. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting Podcastle.org and trading us something of value for what we've so generously given kisses are not what i'm talking about we'll see you in a week when tim pratt returns to podcastle with a story for the little gods and all of us until then remember you yes you are worth it all and so much more so don't stop believing especially in yourself grab your shadow and sew it back on the way it was meant to be come back and see us next time
1: You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Henry David Thoreau said, Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined.